Okay. Okay. You ready for a food heist? I'm always ready for a food heist. Awesome. So this one is older. This one's actually five years old. Okay. 2017. Okay. Ooh, um, we could get into historical food heist. Historical food heist. Someone needs to send you some historical, like, we're talking medieval food heist. Medieval heists. food heists? Yeah. I want to hear about some medieval food heists, guys. Have I told you about one of the historical fiction books I want to write? Maybe. Okay, so in the town of Cologne in Germany, uh-huh. which is Cologne, which is where our word for Cologne comes from, uh-huh. that's not where perfume and Cologne were invented, but it was uh-huh. it's one of the primary sources in European history where it came from. There was a period in its history in like the Napoleonic era when Napoleon himself was just paying scandalous amounts of money for Cologne. And so anyway, it was huge business. The reason the town is named after this or the reason that the, you know, Eau de Cologne was named after the town, whatever, is because it was like one of the most lucrative things in all of Europe at the time. And they actually employed perfume sniffers who would travel the world smelling forgeries. Yeah, I think you did talk about this. And I want to tell that story. Someone whose whole job is to sail around, because they would go as far as China to smell the product people were selling. And if it wasn't actual eau de cologne, then he had, you know, a team of thugs with him who would like beat you up and break your stuff and and tell you, no, this is not real stuff. You can't sell it. That would be an amazing story. Could we do a version of our weird time travel things where it's time travel food tourism? Ooh, could be. To see if foods actually taste the way that they do. Like if now, if in the past they tasted the same or how were the recipes and things like that. Is there a story there? Or does it have to instead be mm. something like Star Trek Four, where it's like, if we don't bring this brie oh, yes. forward in time because we've lost the ability to make brie. Or even better, it's like sourdough Every starters. Every sourdough start in the world <laughs> is gone. Yeah, we need no to go sourdough. back in time and get another one. And if we don't bring it forward in time, the space probe is going to destroy us. <laughs> They're like, we have come for your sourdough bread. <laughs> Give it to us or we will wipe your civilization clean. Uh, I like Um, how they sound like the people from Galaxy Quest. Yeah, sorry. Mm -hmm. They're Thermians. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. This is is not that historical. Mm. But it's five years old, which if you're my six-year-old daughter is a very long time. Yes. Anyway, this happened in Deutschland in Germany. Somebody stole a refrigerated trailer containing... 20 tons of Nutella and Kinder Eggs. (laughs) You know, my world shattered when I learned that Kinder Eggs were not German. Right? That's one of the great lies perpetuated upon the species. Ruins everything. They're Italian, right? I actually don't know. They're Mm -hmm. not German indigenously. Yes. Some of them are. When when we lived in Stuttgart, Uh we were about 20 or 30 minutes away from the Ritter Sport factory where Uh Ritter comes from. And so, John Ritter. John Ritter. Yeah. I don't know if he was made in the factory, mm. or if maybe the factory was named after him. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. what Kinder I love eggs. about this particular yeah. article talking about the theft of twenty tons of Nutella mm-hmm. is that the police are not convinced that the target was the Nutella. Like the chief guy, the detective who's investigating it said it was about seventy thousand euros worth of chocolate but that the trailer 
was arguably worth more. And he thinks that this might have been a theft of a trailer. But in his words, if you're going to steal a trailer anyway, you may as well steal one full of chocolate. <laughs> Is Nutella chocolate? Does um, it count? I mean, it's chocolate adjacent. Yes. Right? It's definitely chocolate adjacent. Yeah. But I don't know if Nutella counts as chocolate in the comments. Tell us. I was so excited when I found what advertised itself as dark chocolate Nutella, and Mm. it didn't actually have any hazelnuts in it at all. So it was Mm. just dark chocolate spread with no Nutella. Also, do you say Nutella or Nutella? I say Nutella. Nutella. I always just say Nutella. I mean, that makes more sense. I don't know which one's right. What it, It's from Europe, so you have to pick the fancier sounding You have to go version. with Nutella. Yes. I should pronounce it like Nutella. <laughs> go like full Argentine, Nutella. <laughs> um, I don't think they wanted the truck or the Nutella. I think they wanted the Kinder Eggs because do you know how hard it is to collect a full set? Of any of their of little the little Kinder Egg toys, kinder, yeah, like yeah. they they do mini sets within a larger mm-hmm. print run, and you never know if you're going to get the set of little monsters that are playing sports, or if you're going to get the set of little cars with rubber bands that make them go, mm-hmm. or if you're going to get the lame movie tie-in toy. Yeah, and you never know. You might buy a hundred Kinder Eggs and not complete your cool monsters playing sports thing, but yeah. have like thirty copies of Batman that does nothing. Yeah, and and, so, and this is in some ways a selling point because mm-hmm. they have a staggering variety yes. of toys. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I can absolutely see, you know, the spoiled child of mm-hmm. some German mobster. Yes, who's like, Daddy, I want all of the little cars with rubber bands. That because go. if it's a spoiled German kid, they have a British accent instead of a German accent, right? Oh, clearly, yes, yes, obviously. <laughs> One of the things that I didn't understand at first when I moved there was I'd ask people if they spoke English and they'd say, yes, but I don't speak American Mm. or vice versa. You know, I learned by watching movies, so I speak American, but I don't speak English. And to a second language speaker, there actually is enough of a difference in accent and vocabulary Mm -hmm. that they consider them separate. Yeah. Even though to us it was like, no, it's the same thing. They just say all the words weird. I had friends in Korea who could not understand a mutual American friend from Boston. Really? Just had so much trouble with the Boston. He had a, he had a pretty thick Boston accent. Mm-hmm. But to yeah. me, a Boston accent is not on the hierarchy of thick accents. It's pretty low down on the difficulty yeah. of intelligibility, high on the intelligibility thing. What do you think about the fact that in English, Vikings always have Scottish accents? Right? Well, I mean, the Viking TV show, they give Mm -hmm. them kind of vaguely Danish accents. I was talking more like How to Train Your Dragon and, you know. How to Train Your Dragon is very Scottish. Very Scottish. And that happens a lot. Like dwarves often get the Scottish accent. Like the Scottish accent means warrior in English. And so if you want a warrior culture, they often just give them a Scottish accent, whatever kind of fantastical and or historical well, it is. it's like Doctor Who, right? Mm-hmm. When Christopher Eccleston showed up and someone asked him, why do you sound like you're from the North? And he said, well, lots of planets have a North. <laughs> well, there you go. So what are we talking about today? This is your pitch of a podcast. Okay, yeah. So we're going to talk about weird and or frustrating or annoying questions that we get. And I want to be political about this, mm-hmm. diplomatic about this, that 
If you've ever asked this question of an author, that doesn't mean that we like are mad at you or anything. It's just a question we get a lot and in some cases don't have good answers for or the answer is never as cool as you think it's going to be. So it will be innately disappointing. I swear we did some of this on a episode once. So we might repeat ourselves a little bit. Yeah. I know there's a few questions that you had that I haven't talked about on this podcast. So Yeah. I know that the mm-hmm. two main ones yeah. I know we haven't talked about before. So first world author problems. <laughs> Which question have we talked about before? Mm-hmm. And and of course, you know, oh, boo-hoo, you're an author who gets people asking you questions yeah, so all I the mean, time. first world author problems yeah. is, so yeah. how often do you get people asking you to write a story? Oh, I've like, got a great idea for a story. You should write this. It's got to be like number three on my hierarchy, where number one and two are both really valid questions. Number one is, hey, can you tell me when this sequel is coming out? That's probably mm-hmm. my number one most asked question. With yeah. Number two being, hey, can you give me some writing advice? Which I love to do. Yeah, and those so, both come up. I got one of those today yep. and answered it happily. I actually created a blog post mm-hmm. many years ago. And now when people ask that question, I just send them the link. And I'm like, yeah, everything I want to say about this, I have already said. Yeah, I, we so, do yeah. it at brandonsanders.com slash writing dash advice. It just <laughs> goes to all of the different places that I've done it. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I would guess number three is, hey, I had this really cool idea. And then it branches. It branches to, why don't you write it and give me half the money? <laughs> or it's for free. It's a really great idea. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there's a third iteration that I've mm. gotten a fair number of times, which is my mother slash grandma slash uncle slash whatever has had a really fascinating life. You should write their memoir. Yep. yep. Guaranteed bestseller because it's so crazy. And my dad's dream is to have a book published. Here's his cool idea. Can you make this happen? So how mm-hmm. do you respond to these? I will tell you how I respond. I would love to hear it. It is not at all because I don't do my own fan mail anymore. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) And so there is a nice, well-worded form email that my team sends out saying, Brandon has Mm -hmm. more ideas of his own than he can possibly write. And so he doesn't need any more ideas. If you come up with some way to magic him more hours in the day, please let us know. Yeah. My answer is usually the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I will sometimes, if the person has not annoyed me yeah. by the vehemence of their question. If they mm-hmm. seem like they're a really nice person who's not just trying to, mm-hmm. you know, cash in, then I will usually say something like, you know, the world has plenty of Dan Wells books. They don't have any you books. That you, is a nice way. You should way. write this yourself. That is a nice way. Which feels a little more supportive and helpful than just, meh. I mean, the real answer that we can talk about on the podcast, which... Some of you have heard us talk about before, this is something we get into, is the idea that ideas are cheap. Yeah. Ideas are the easy part Mm -hmm. of being a writer. Now, that doesn't mean that for some writers, ideas aren't hard, and some ideas are hard, even for established authors. I don't want to belittle or demean someone's struggle with writing, Mm -hmm. but in general, as an average, most professional writers have more ideas than they have time to write. Yes. And indeed, lots of people have good ideas, legitimately good ideas for stories. Mm -hmm. But the skill to turn that into an actual story is the thing that takes years and years of practice. And that's the actual valuable thing. Ideas are cheap. Everybody has them. That doesn't mean they're bad ideas, but everybody's got them. 
but you don't have his 10 years yeah. of practice. Turning a story idea mm-hmm. into an actual story is the much more difficult part. I mean, you can see on this very podcast, when I come up with pretty bad ideas, how easily Dan <laughs> turns them into legitimately interesting stories. Uh, they still might not work as books. Yes. But they are funny stories to tell each other. Mm-hmm. But yes, and those are both skills that can be learned. Yes. You know, and so that's a question that I used to get all the time and don't often anymore. Mm-hmm which is where do you get your ideas? Yeah. And to be fair, I think most of the people asking that are not themselves writers no, or they even just aspiring curious. writers. They're the taxi driver or somebody like that who's never even thought about doing this. Right. And once you get into this headspace and you're like, well, I want to be an artist and I want to create art, and you can kind of teach yourself how, often just through practice, how to come up with stories, Mm -hmm. how to come up with ideas, I should say. Here's a really cool thing. Let's take this and run with it. Yeah. And I mean, I tell the Jim Butcher story a lot. I like the Jim Butcher story. So I'm sorry for those who've heard it before, but this is the story where he was arguing this point on a forum with someone before he was published. And they had this sort of feeling that that's what separated the published authors from the unpublished authors was the published authors just had better ideas. They magically were able to come up with really great ideas for stories. And I won't, again, completely dismiss that. Sometimes there are places where an author is very well positioned with a really killer idea, like Jurassic Park, I have to mention is that. Right at the right time to break Michael Crichton out of kind of being a niche-ish, he'd still done Mm -hmm. pretty well, but niche-ish author who had this formula good formula, not bad way formula, but a group of scientists solve a near future science fiction problem together and then disaster ensues. Yeah. And a lot of those, they're good books. Andromeda Strain, Congo. The Sphere. Sphere, all of this. Is Sphere before or after? I want to say it was after, but but there's there's a bunch of these. And then he hit on the one that just had enormous mass market potential. Mm-hmm. Bring dinosaurs back to life using the DNA from mosquitoes that they had, you know, just yeah. like come blockbuster idea, make a theme it, park. That's absolutely a case yeah. where you can see the idea itself mm-hmm. is worth yeah. 50% of the value of right. that thing. And he'd been and, writing these stories that are good, and then this one. Yeah. So I don't want to demean that, but... In general, that skill is the missing component. Mm-hmm. And Jim Butcher was arguing this point, and he's like, all right, guy, give me your worst ideas, and I'm going to write a book about them. And the guy said, take the Lost Roman Legion and mash it up with Pokemon. And that's Alara, And that's Codex Alara, yeah. yeah. And I've confirmed this story with Jim himself. It's, it's entered kind of popular lore, so I've heard it multiple times, but I've confirmed it with him that that's where it came from. Yeah. Some guy on a forum gave him writing prompts that he thought was a terrible idea, mashing together two disparate things that just did not work together and Mm -hmm. lo and behold turned into a best-selling book series yeah and really that is where you know ignoring the outliers like jurassic Uh park that is where 99 percent of the work is done is not in the creation of the idea but in the the execution of it the toil and sweat to actually turn something into a real story so if you have this question Mm -hmm. then you know the answer is go get that skill. And then your, your idea suddenly becomes way more valuable when yeah. you can back it up. We don't want to write your idea. We mm-hmm. want to write our ideas. 
once in a while, we'll inspire one another and work together. And if you want to work together with other authors, you need to be bringing to the table, not just ideas, but that same sort of skills, skill set. Yeah. Kevin J. Anderson. And now that I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. this story, all of a sudden I'm worried that we've talked about this on the show before, because I swear I've told this specific anecdote. What, the writer with no future award? No, but Kevin's answer to that question is, Mm -hmm. actually, I've got 20 ideas I don't have time to write. What if I give one to you? And you write it, and then you give me half the money. And mm-hmm. the other person said, why would I ever do that? And he's like, exactly. Man, deja vu. <laughs> Have we talked about this? I, th- I think so. I don't remember talking about any of the other stuff, but that story, mm, that story. I swear we've told. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Let's, let's talk about yeah. another question that we get. Mm. And we get this one a lot. I know that I do. This usually comes from a software developer, mm-hmm. someone who will email me or they email writing excuses, and I'm usually the one that answers all of that mm-hmm. mail, where they say, hey, I want to put together a piece of software for writing or something that will facilitate this aspect of publishing or this mm-hmm. aspect of you know writing, whatever. Are you interested in looking at it? Or I'm earlier in the process and I want to do it. What are the features that you would want such a piece of software to include. I get that all the time. Do you get that one? I get that once in a while. I don't get it as often as you seem to, but I do get it now and then. It's part of a larger subset of, I want to make publishing easier for authors. And so I am starting up this thing that is revolutionary new. Ignore the 300 other ones. So what Mm -hmm. do you often see? Reality show based on writing. I've gotten that one a bunch. Do you get that oh, one? I've never gotten that. No. I, I, I say a bunch, like five or six times. Someone's written okay. me and say, I'm starting a reality show about writers. Will you be one of the judges or something like that where we're going to take five new authors you know, or 20 new authors or whatever, and we're going to pit them challenges. We're going to make Survivor, but, but for authors. But for authors. And they that never, actually does sound interesting. They never work because writing is so boring. Writing is not yeah. visually exciting. But I get that one. I get the, we're trying to make it easier for authors to break into the industry. So we're creating yet another website where authors can put up their stories and we will then- Reinventing Wattpad? Yeah. Well, not, yeah, reinventing Wattpad, but the whole idea is we'll get industry insiders to be, we'll make it easier for them to find your work rather than you submitting to the slush pile. And I can see where this idea comes from, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than submitting slush pile, what if we had a place that, you know, stories were upvoted and then- Editors could browse those and pick the stories. But number one, how do you monetize? Number two, how do you get the editors to actually do this when they have submission guidelines and people are submitting to them and they have their whole system? And then number three, that's what Wattpad that's kind what of Wattpad is. That's what already is. Not that's what, specifically uh, focused on publishing. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but still, the idea that you're posting, I mean, yeah. how many other fan fiction sites, mm-hmm. you know, archive of our own, Yes, which is you post a story and people can upvote, upvote it, it yeah. and you know, anyone could go on there and find something if that's what they were looking for. Yeah. What I tend to get is much more of, mm-hmm. hey, look, I'm reinventing Scrivener. Yes. Do you want to be involved in some way? And the thing for me is all I need Mm -hmm. is a word processor and email. And there is essentially no bells and whistles you could add to either of those very basic functions that would be of any value to me in any way. And understand that I am Mm -hmm. much further to the Luddite side of the scale than many people are. Scrivener itself feels like too many bells and whistles for me. Mm. I want something that will let me type, 
that will let me revise, and then that will let me save. And that is all I need out of a word processor. Well, let me ask then some of the things that I use on okay. Microsoft Word. Do you use autosave and document recovery? I suppose yes. Mm. Those are valuable things. So I do use those. But this like is, Pages does that. Yeah, and I'm that's just saying. typically what I yeah. type in. The thing I use, and all of them do this, that I see a lot of authors not using is I use a document map. I use the outline feature because it's so easy to jump between chapters in a book. If you've just said, this is heading number two, Every mm -hmm. chapter title is heading number two. And you, I actually, during my drafts, I'm putting metadata in there. You know, chapter four, Kaladin flashback sequence one or Kaladin this sequence or things like that. Mm -hmm. So I can open up the document yeah. map, quickly see an outline of which chapters are which characters and things like that. Do you do anything like that? I will use those if I am writing an actual outline or world Bible, especially if something is going to be shared with other people. So... If I am building a world Bible for uh -huh. Typecast, back when I did Typecast, yeah. and we all needed to participate in the world building, then yes, the document map has come in handy. But for my own novels, this might just be because yeah. you write novels that are four times I do. They're larger than mine. But how do you get between chapters? Do you just like search for chapter and then just... No, I just grab the little slider and pull it back and find what I'm looking for. It's so much faster, so <laughs> much faster to just document map. I will also say yeah. I mm -hmm. almost never need to find something in the middle of a document unless okay. I'm going through an edit, in which case someone's marked it with a comment. Right? Okay. Because I tend to edit as I go mm -hmm. and I tend to write in chronological order. Okay. And so it is rare that I will need to find, mm -hmm. oh, where did this thing happen? Now, often as I'm going through and I will hit a point where, you know, germane to our uh -huh. previous discussion about, we need to foreshadow that this guy's turning into a frog. Yes. I will have to go back and, you know, the lightning will strike and I'll say, oh, this will work so much better if I tweak this other chapter. And then I will have to find that. One of the things that happens to me a lot, and this is going to happen to you much less, is I will be reading through and be like, I, I did this with the, the new Wax and Wayne book. I'm like, oh man, I really need this other viewpoint chapter to go before this one. Mm. because either for pacing reasons, I need to break up these talky bits with an action bit or, oh, this other thing is happening over here. I've referenced it in this chapter, so I need to. And so I do that. And on the document, you can just drag the chapter to before oh. and let go. And it's now there. But then it's like, all right, that means that all the chapters with this other viewpoint are now one out of sync. And I need to move Every chapter, so it's basically every second or third chapter, depending on how the balancing is, mm -hmm. forward, then I need to look at the beginnings and ends of these, these chapters and see that it's still fitting and be like, oh, no, I need to move this one. Moving chapters around, so easy in the document map, and I have to do it a ton when I'm blending viewpoints. Yeah, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I, yep. I have to do that yep. so rarely that mm -hmm. just, you know, copy-paste is all it takes, okay. you know? Maybe once a year, I will say, eh, this chapter should go somewhere else. But that said, I don't use a ton of, like, every time a new edition of Word comes out and they add a bunch of features, I'm like, why did you, why did you move? Why did you change I this? have to turn this thing off now? There's new one on Microsoft Word that's yeah. so annoying when you highlight a word that has a squiggle under it, right? It then puts a box around it 
that you have to drop down. It wants you to drop down to pick the right spelling, right? Mm. Where what it means is I've had 20 years of using Microsoft Word where if I see something I want to change, I double click on the word and type the new word. Yeah. So fast, so easy. I don't need to spell check it. Mm -hmm. I don't need, now if I double click it, the first one highlights the word and the second one brings down the drop down menu and I can't type anymore until I dismiss the drop down menu. And I do not know how to get rid of that thing. It is so yeah. annoying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have, I mean, this, this mm -hmm. is probably my single biggest pet peeve in the entire yeah. world is please stop quote unquote upgrading your software mm. that I yes. have used forever. Like, mm -hmm. and this happens to email programs. This happens to word processors. I stopped using word years ago precisely because they won't stop fiddling with it. They won't. I don't need all of these extra functions. They are actively detrimental to my process. They took one away <laughs> that I actually used. Oh, which um, one? So for a while on the scroll bar, they had an arrow at the top and an arrow at the bottom. There was like search up for the next instance of whatever's in your search and replace thing mm -hmm. or search down. And they got rid of those because the search box takes up a bunch of the screen, right? Mm -hmm. And so you could get rid of that and just click up and it's like, I'll find the next one. Not anymore. Now I had to add a little thing to my bar that's like find next and find previous. It was just, and they took that one away and they added stuff like this other one. And yeah. it's like, come uh, on, that, guys. I use LibreOffice mm -hmm. and Pages, okay. depending on which device I'm on. Mm -hmm. LibreOffice still has that search arrows, yeah. which is nice because mm -hmm. I do use those. And then Pages, I have turned off. Pages is nice because you mm -hmm. it's very modular. You can turn off pretty much any, every function Word lets if you, you want it to. turn off a ton of stuff. I will give them that. And mm -hmm. I turn off so much stuff on Word. Yeah. All of their new things, though. All of this reminds me of a counter example. Earl, you, you know, Earl, mm -hmm. our, our mutual friend. Earl owned a house and a bunch of us live there. Not you, but Ben did and I did and mm -hmm. Micah did. Micah. And he had on the fridge his favorite Dilbert comic. Okay. Which was the Dilbert sitting there with the pointy-haired boss and they've got like a client. And the boss is like, what do you need? What do you think of our software? And the client says, it needs more features. And the boss looks at Dilbert and says... How soon can you have that done? <laughs> right? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. What I have found, and I don't know if mm -hmm. this is real or not. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if this is common, I should say. But there was a recent update made to Outlook, which is what I use for email, mm -hmm. that would suggest words and phrases if it thought it knew what you were trying to say. And I hate any kind of predictive yes. text. I always turn it off. Mm -hmm. And so it added this thing and I was writing an email and all these suggestions kept popping up. And then after I sent the email, it literally popped up a box that said, hey, what do you think of our new predictive text thing? And gave me the option of commenting. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a really not mean, but mm -hmm. fairly scathing thing like this is awful. I don't want this. Why would you add this? And then... Somehow, I think, because this didn't appear until after I had written the comment, but a little window popped up and said, do you want to turn this feature off? So I think I was just mean enough in my comment that they're like, okay, fine. Right. We will turn this off. And maybe everybody gets that regardless of what they comment, but I like the idea that the comment field was reading what I was saying 
and identified enough keywords to be like, oh, yeah, this guy's one of those old men who hates new technology. I don't think it's an old man thing. It kind of is, but it kind of isn't. I used to look at Ray Bradbury, who famously wrote on a typewriter till mm-hmm. he passed away in the 2000s, yeah. right? And that or the fact that George Martin still, last I heard, worked in WordStar. That's amazing. And things like that. And I used to think old fogey, right? Stuff like that. I think the truth is that as writers, our needs as professional novelists are so different from the average user base of those programs Mm -hmm. that the features that we hate are to help the average user base to make things work better UI-wise and things like that, whereas we need the raw tool with very few bells and whistles because we can bend that tool to the shape we need it to Mm -hmm. for a given circumstances. Just like a mechanic, I'm going to assume they can do more with a simple wrench than I can do with the fanciest machine that's trying to imitate me having the skill and knowledge in order to use that wrench. We need a wrench. We want... A nice wrench that has a few things to it, but we need very few of the the rest. And I wonder if the fact that these things are always changing is like, just give me a wrench. Give me the best wrench you got. We are such a small segment of the population. I wonder if that's just not something good for them to serve. And I absolutely can see that. And I... I do believe that, especially with something like predictive text, that's 100% what's going on. Mm -hmm. If someone does not frequently write then they don't necessarily know what they're doing or how to do it and having some extra things. Like if you're trying to send off a quick email in the course of your day working mm-hmm. you know, business, whatever business is, accounting or insurance or something, mm-hmm. that might be very, very valuable to you because you're often sending the same kinds of things and predictive text mm-hmm. can fill that in and it's easy. The counterpoint, which doesn't actually counter anything mm. you're saying so much as it is baseless fear-mongering, Mm. I have read and written too much cyberpunk to not be concerned about the long-term slippery slope effects of handing our communication over to machines, right? Like there is virtually no case in which it's actually going to be, I think, really harmful to society to let your phone finish your text sentence for you. Mm. But... I could absolutely write a really great story in which our handing over the keys to our communication to something else is going to smooth all of the idiosyncratic edges off of our communication, and we're all going to start saying very similar things to each other. Like, that's not a real concern, but it's still a concern that is out there. Technology. I'm kind yeah. of staying on this sort of mm-hmm. thing that people ask authors about. Yes. What about the cross-medium boom that never happened that okay. people kept trying to do? This is the, I'm going to make a platform or I'm going to make books where you read the book and then jump to the web for a video and then listen to the song and then jump back to the book. Do you remember when this was like, a huge thing that everyone was trying to get mm-hmm. to work. Everyone wanted to be writing or producing multimedia books. Yeah. With graphics and music and all this extra stuff. And a few of them did work, like the School for Children, Mrs. Peregrine's 
Is that how you say it? Mrs. Did, did that one have multimedia stuff? Yeah, it in was it? all about the photos. So oh, the idea okay. is that these photos were a big deal. My wife read them and I didn't, but yeah, you I had to go to either. the internet to find the extra lore on the photos. But you can print a photo in a book, and I assume that they did yeah. as well. But Well, and I can see that working because that's not new. Yeah. Books with illustrations have been around for hundreds of years, you know. But I know she did end up on the web. For those photos. To because, find extra yeah, information about the them. the photos might, oh man, I'm kind of talking, maybe Adam can figure out what this is. The photos might have had motion to them, like they had to be gifts in order to- Ooh, in order to, to work to properly. pull off the spookiness hmm. of the photos. I don't know. I know they had a multimedia component, and I know yeah. that series worked really well. And since I am not familiar enough with it, we should move- perhaps on. <laughs> and I do know that, like I've talked about before, 1770-76 being one of my favorite stories of all time. Football in the future. Yeah, yeah. Just brilliant. Just read it. Don't even try to get any context for what it is. It is awesome. And it is multimedia. It is story and web and video all kind of simultaneous. But yeah. it is is on the internet. And so you scroll down to the bottom and I actually have kind of liked some of these stories that you scrolling as part of like, you know, there's comics that the scrolling is part of it and stuff mm-hmm. you can only do on the internet. I see that yeah. as its own new medium rather than cross medium, it's its own medium. And trying to take books and turn it into that has generally flopped, but I get used to more. Mm-hmm. A lot of people trying to get me to buy into some version of that. Yeah. I don't know. This feels, again, like something Mm -hmm. that we may have talked about before. We're running out of new ideas. Mm, We need to write down what our podcasts are (laughs) about. What we've covered in the past. you need to write down what our podcasts are about. Archive every topic we've ever touched on. (laughs) I think Adam actually could just, as he's sitting here listening, have open a spreadsheet that just is like, here's some major topics that they talked about. Oh, man. With another tab for, yep, you've told that joke before. Oh, man. Don't do that one to us. We'll be in serious trouble. But yes, I do think that there's a lot of interesting stuff Uh to be done. I mean, now that we've got, you know, and we've talked about this before with smart devices Uh that can do extra things with audio. Audiobooks that there's a line between is this audiobook Uh just someone reading the book out loud? Or does it include music and sound effects? Does it include full cast? Like there's a whole spectrum there. I do believe that... The future of audiobooks will eventually include some smart house stuff, whether you're in your car or in your house, the ability to do some other atmospheric things. Even if that's just a stereo effect where, you know, some of this sound comes from a different part of the room or something like that. Yeah, for a little while when Alexa and things and the Google Home were taking off, there was discussion at all these companies of these multimedia projects where it's like, it's Mm -hmm. a horror story where when they say a door closed, a door downstairs in your house closes. Yes. Yeah. Or you just hear the sound of it. Yes. Well, that's what I meant. But. Yeah. Or we would have the ability to turn your lights on or yeah. off or something like that. That's a functionality that I think is very cool and very exciting and ultimately very limited in yeah. its usability. For years, um, VR was the thing. I had lots of meetings with mm-hmm. people who were like, we're going to try to start a VR company that's going to try to do movies VR. And that is not materialized either. That doesn't mean it won't mm-hmm. someday. Holodeck type movies, right? Yeah. Where you walk around and experience the movie. But what they found is it's real hard 
to tell a story without a frame for the viewpoint. And yeah. some cool stories came out of that. But again, they're a new genre. Trying to take traditional stories and tell them this way has proven much more difficult than any of my friends in Hollywood thought. Yeah. And it's because telling a story while also giving full like agency to the reader slash viewer mm-hmm. is very difficult. And it's something that works really well with, for example, a role-playing game where you've yeah. got a live person, you know, adapting on the fly computer games are trying to pick up that same slack. Yeah, it worked um, pretty well for but, Macbeth, I hear. I never went to the Macbeth project in New York where they took a hotel. Different rooms of the house. And different yeah. rooms of the house were playing different scenes from Macbeth. And But it kind of works for Macbeth because you kind of know the story of Macbeth, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can go and be like, oh, I can see what this character's doing off screen when wouldn't be on screen in the play and those sorts of things. But it's like having an experience rather than getting a story told to you. Yeah. It's like going to the theme park version of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Experiencing the world of Macbeth, which everyone's always wanted to do. But, uh, you know, and then you get into things that are more like, well, is this a book with illustrations mm-hmm. or is this a visual novel? Or is this a webcomic? Is there any value in drawing lines between where one begins and one ends? There's a lot of cool things that can be done in that space. But yeah, you have to go pretty far from the novel to get to something that is intrinsically new rather than just, here's just a different way of reading a novel, you know? Next episode, a podcast told entirely by a computer using predictive text. How's that, Ben?